You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 11 of The Outspoken Bible. I am Fiona Stewart. Once again, I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello, Jen. Morning, Fiona. Hello, Neil. Hello, Jen and Fiona. And are we like to say happy birthday, Jen? Oh, please. Yeah. Excellent. Sorry, have I stolen your thunder there, Fiona? Did no, you not at all. No I, thought about, I, no, I thought about scripting it in and then I thought, well, I'll just leave it and see if it comes up naturally. And it did. did. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I love about Jen's birthday is that and her son's also the same day. I know. Yeah, it's great. I love birthdays. I think they're the best celebration. Because it's just about celebrating people because they're them. Not yeah, because you're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just they, because they you're exist. You. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, happy birthday to you. Obviously, by the time anybody listens, it will be after Long, your long gone. Long, long gone. But anyway. Now, uh, we have some correspondence. No birthday cards, I'm afraid, Jen. Sorry about that. Uh, but before we get into that, quick reminder, listeners, that as discussed last time, we are interested in your feedback about episode length so contact us by emailing outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or you can do that obviously via social media let us know the length of podcast you enjoyed do you want us to stick to the current length which is just under an hour or would you prefer something a bit shorter so we're offering basically anything between 35 to 60 minutes speak up or forever listen at the <laughs> 59 minute mark <laughs> meanwhile uh, we do have a, piece, a couple of pieces of correspondence this week so the first one is from regular listener elizabeth elizabeth good to hear from from you Hello, as Elizabeth. ever. Uh, yes, she, <laughs> Neil knows what's coming. Um, she wants to offer a bit of a counter view, Neil, to your Glover's Off that you did on politics a couple of episodes ago. So if I can just read a wee section from, um, from Elizabeth's email. She's talking about housing and she's talking about some of the issues faced by people um, already living in the UK, uh, living in, in conditions of damp condensation mould vermin and and paying full rent and then she says I do have a problem when refugees have been taken in and then complain that they've been living in hotel accommodation obviously probably just one room for months now demanding a home and it's not easy for them she says but the bottom line is that they are safe warm and fed she also goes on Neil to say that your the voices you sorry the verses you quoted uh when talking about politics about the land um were taken from the old testament and the land was vast and not comparable to our cramped island she goes on to say it's wonderful that his friend Alison is doing such good work uh, bear in mind though that she is coming from that intense angle of seeing the detail and quite rightly banging on the government's door demanding that we take everyone in um, but she's saying well bear in mind that town council social services housing and so on are saying that they can't cope with current needs let alone adding more people to their lists so this is not a back and forward debate about politics, <laughs> but I thought it was interesting to, to yeah. thank you, um, Elizabeth, for presenting that alternative view. Yes. Neil, I don't know if there is anything you want to kind of. Yeah, I mean, say I don't. I that. don't know enough about the national picture, so I, I think thanks for Elizabeth for raising that point and in such a helpfully thought through way, which mm. which makes me want to go and um, investigate more. Probably involved phoning Alison, uh, but I the one thing i can comment about is here in this area where we are we are desperate to have people from the ukraine now i know that the 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 discussion was about more than people from the ukraine but we are we are desperate to have them here families are are putting them up but also the the local industry is is desperate for people of working age because in 
in recent years, and I'll not get into the reasons why that might have been, uh, there has been a massive loss of people coming to this area from um, outside this country, and they're absolutely needed for the economy here. Um, mm. So I'd, the only thing I'd comment is, yes, uh, housing is clearly also an issue here, uh, but also needing people to work is also an issue as well. But really grateful to Elizabeth for that, and I want to go away and think more about it. That's good. That's always what we what we like, a bit of stimulation around that. And I guess, circling back to what the original, your original Glover's off, it was about politics, wasn't it? And the mm. importance of being involved. Yeah. Whether it's at this kind of discussion point or whether it's um, being actively involved uh, in, the, in the political discourse. Um, yeah. I, na- I, nationwide, which is important. I think one of the least helpful things we sometimes say is don't talk about religion or politics. Yeah. Uh, because I think we actually have to talk more about them. And I was wary about introducing that because, oh, it's going to be too difficult and too controversial. But yeah. actually, we need to go there. Often, politicians will say something like, oh, we need to have a national conversation about this topic. And actually, we're really bad at having those conversations. So hopefully, this is part of that. Part of that. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Okay. We'll keep the glovers off coming. Now, we've also had a, a long email, very long email, with a couple of attachments, actually, from a new listener, Hannah. Now, Hannah encountered you recently, pub. Neil. Yeah, I met, she her met in you in the pub after a conference. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Exactly. Bumped into Neil of Glovers Off fame, as you're now known, Neil, <laughs> um, in a pub in Edinburgh in March. Never met him before. And he told me to check out this podcast. And considering you do a lot of begging for correspondence, yeah, fair enough. We need to tone that back, I think. Um, <laughs> I thought I would get in touch and tell you that I think it's great. So that's good, isn't it? It's like leaning in and listening to a conversation between three friends in a panelled snug in the corner of a pub. And she then goes on to talk about a number of things that she felt she would have loved to have come in on the conversation um, had she been in the pub. Uh, It says, Jen said something like, the women, not actual disciples. And I would have to say that surely they were actual disciples. She she quotes Luke 8 on that, naming them uh, as the many others who travelled with Jesus, following, living with, financially supporting and learning from. And then she says, I think you'll enjoy this, Jen. She says, I, I think do. Jen would heartily agree with that and we would share another packet of crisps. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that. Uh, and then she, she goes on also to talk about, I'll, I'll, not, I'll not read the whole email out, but she talks about the seven signs, um, talking about seven specific miracles uh, as messianic signs, um, things that comprehensively prove Jesus to be the son of God. And she says she went down a bit of a rabbit hole researching that. I think we're going to come back and talk about Jesus as Messiah and his claim to be God as well mm. in the chapter we'll talk about today. Yeah. So it's um, very apposite. Uh, and she says, Jen, she says, I adored Jen's point about the parallels between the first Passover and the crossing of the water and focus on bread that we see in John 6. I'd never thought about the Passover and Jesus' ministry in that way before. Mm. Uh, and then she goes on to talk uh, more about the water and the wine encounter as well. So she's, so far she's only listened to John 1, John 2, John 6 and John 7. So she's got a whole lot of other John episodes to listen to. And uh, she says, keep up the good work. I've liked, shared, followed and correspondence. So hopefully, correspondence. All so the boxes have been ticked. That makes you all happy. I, exactly. I love that image of us being in a, a padded snug in a pub. Yeah. And I like the idea that in when we will eventually, hopefully, do outspoken live, uh, that the 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 snug will get a lot bigger. Exactly, exactly. Well, I had actually put that down. So yeah, I said thanks to both of you for that correspondence, and we do appreciate people doing it because we can't all fit into yeah. a padded snug, sadly. So uh, this is the as good as it gets, really. But let's keep the conversation going. Um, don't forget, you can correspond by contacting outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Now, today we're going to be talking about John chapter 10, and that is on pages 32 to 33 of the Light and Life Gospel, if you're using that. Um, And it's a chapter where people flock to hear from Jesus, 
but only those who truly hear his voice come into the royal fold. <gasps> Planting it with you. There you Very are. good. I, I find getting, myself looking difficult because I'm now expecting I'm always going to get a good response, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is I, I noticed what you did with the word flock there i did thank see you what you did much. there thank you very good thank you very much so people flock to hear from jesus but only those who truly hear his voice come into the royal fold now before all that though controversy awaits as it's time for glovers off glovers off this week is about benedictines and the reason it's about benedictines is because last two nights ago i got phoned from a fellow minister down in Killin, and he said Neil, uh, I've got a couple of German pilgrims staying with me. Uh, could you put them up at yours tomorrow night? <laughs> I confess, my immediate response was absolutely exhausted. Uh, was not one of warm Christian generosity and hospitality. It's like, oh no, I've got so much I need to do. And where are they going to stay? Uh, but uh, I am rebuked. Uh, what's the the thing in Hebrews? What about uh, entertaining angels unawares? Yeah, unawares. Yeah. Yeah, and in uh, the Celtic rune of hospitality, where it says, "Oftly, oftly goes Christ in the stranger's guise." So Christ in the stranger's guise yesterday were Ernest and France, who are from Austria, very south of Austria, and what they are doing is Ernest's big dream. He's a school teacher. He's now retired. Is to create a way that connects all the Benedictine abbeys in Europe. And he's starting off his way in Monte Cassino, um, which is the most southern Benedictine abbey, he said, in, in Europe. And a, it's famous because it was the site of a huge battle in the Second World War. And the most northerly Benedictine abbey in, in Europe is in Scotland. Any guesses where it is? Pluskerdon uh, near Elgin. <laughs> We'd never have guessed that. We would never have guessed that. <laughs> the only reason I know about it is I think I know a couple of been, people who have been there on retreats. Uh, but yeah, so he was he was the, him and France were walking from East Calder um, to because um, it's near Edinburgh Airport, I think, uh, all the way up. But what really struck me was when I said to them, "Are you Benedictines?" And they said, "No." Or not, which was kind of obvious. Yeah. I should have realised because they weren't priests, um, and it it got me thinking about how these two men, who are not themselves Benedictines, have yet been totally enriched, blessed, inspired by the Benedictine idea. So the Benedictines are people who live uh, by the Benedictine rule, which appeared, I think, in the middle to the late Middle Ages, uh, and uh, they're known as the Blackfriars. And uh, the Benedictine rule is about having time. It's about community, I think. It's about really understanding that we welcome each other in community. And there's a lot of attention to, to looking after each other. Um, there uh, many, Benedictine, many, many Benedictine monks worked in scriptoriums, where the scriptoria where they copied out the Bible for hours and hours, and we owe these people a huge debt. And uh, the, the lovely things like silence is a big part of things. So um, during meals, they will communicate with hand gestures and listen to the voice of Scripture being read. And uh, the idea is that nobody has possessions without the permission of the abbot, but the abbot makes sure that everybody has enough. And of course, they've, they've, they've been a blessing to communities around about them, um, a Dom Perignon of Champagne fame, although there's some dispute about this. Um, a, he he was a Benedictine. Buckfast Abbey is a Benedictine Abbey. That's a slightly more controversial um, a relationship, perhaps. I, I remember uh, that the MP from Coatbridge once went to the Abbey to talk about the impact that Buckfast had had in their community. 
But uh, yeah, the idea of being blessed by people who are who live a completely different life from us, but somehow exist for our enrichment. So Ernest and Franz this week, Glover's Off is inspired by you as you're currently walking to Pitlochry and it's about the Benedictines. Brilliant. When you told us before we um, started recording that you were going to uh, speak about this, I was saying that I came across a quote from Benedict of Nursia yesterday. And what was so, the quote? Well, I do the common prayer um, liturgy in the morning with a friend. Mm. And yeah, the quote is, it, the, in his rule for monastic community, Benedict of Nursia wrote, the first step of humility is to cherish at all times the sense of awe with which we should turn to God. I thought that was good. And I love the fact that for him, humility is a massive part of... Mm-hmm what they do there are all sorts of rules about never speak and listen i read that one did you not have something about how the 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 rule was i want to say the word softer but i know that's not the right word well that was the word that i came across i was reading the historic scotland magazine because i we're members of historic scotland and there was an article about benedictine monks i can't remember which abbey the article was about. I'll need to go back and check that. Iona was a Benedictine Abbey. It was in Iona. Right. I know that. Okay. I would have remembered. But um, it was the the comment by the person who was writing that they were saying that the Benedictines had, had softened monasticism mm. a bit and, yeah. and, and that connection with their community and their welcome. There we go. Well, thank you very much, Neil. That was great. Glover's off. Uh, we look forward to whatever delight that you bring to us next week <laughs> no, I, just, I, I love the unpredictability of it <laughs> exactly one week it's the softness of the benedictine order the next it's Football. the harshness of politics yes. <laughs> <laughs> and everything in between um good well today we're talking about john john 10 so as i mentioned that's on pages 32 to 33 of light and life um i have a starting kind of query to you both or something that struck me which is that unlike a lot of the chapters we've looked at so far it, it John doesn't set the context at all. He just goes straight in mm. with Jesus' words. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. So obviously there's a context in that we know he's speaking to the Pharisees. Um, but I, it brings up the question for me about chapter breaks. And I know we've talked about that already. <laughs> it's the chapters again. It's the Fiona. chapters again, Jen. Exactly. <laughs> Do we think it's just a continuation then of, of what he's talking about in, in chapter 9? I think, Which I, think it feel, yeah, I think it feels very much like a continuation. And in fact, there's a bit further on in the chapter where... It talks about um, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So I think that's another indication um, that this is a continuing conversation with the people who were in chapter nine. And it also, I, I totally agree with that. It also exists, the, the middle part of John chapter 10 exists as a bridge to the, from John chapter nine, the blind men and all this about the Pharisees and the thieves who come in and destroy. So those themes are there. And then it makes a link into the Feast of Dedication and mm-hmm. what it is to be a true king. And mm-hmm. that kind of lurks around that. And what is it to be a true God? So we'll probably come to that at the end. But it's uh, commentators think this is a very clever piece of writing by John because he so elegantly pulls together the themes in John chapter 9 and the later part of John chapter So, So can we talk about the Feast of Festival, the Dedication then? Oh, or right at the end, yeah. Too soon. Well, well, that's let's, too soon. Let's to do talk that. that. Let's. So, um, I didn't know until I was doing my research. Well, I don't. I don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. So that was Hanukkah. my. That was my discovery. Hanukkah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the. So let's let's just dive back and then we'll come back. When I was taught Judaism by our uh, Judaism teacher Yvonne, she said, 
to us who are predominantly Christians, what do you think Judaism is? And most of us had an answer, which was along the lines of um, Judaism is the is the is the religion of the Old Testament, and they just stopped. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were brought up on a, a similar idea to that. And she was saying one of the things about Judaism is that Christians think they know about it, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And there is a whole area of whole life of Judaism that comes out of the Mishnah and the Talmud and a whole series of significant figures, people like Maimonides, who have who have shaped uh, Judaism as we know it today. But Christians think they know what it is and it's not. And this is a really good example because Hanukkah, which is the feast of dedication, is an example of a bit of Christian a bit of Judaism that Christians know nothing about or very little. And the reason I, there's a really good Friends episode which illustrates this where Ross is very upset that his son Ben knows all about Christmas and Father Christmas is very exciting, but he doesn't know about his Jewish heritage and about Hanukkah. So he dresses up as an armadillo the holiday yeah, armadillo. I think, that's, I think I think that's only because he could only get that costume. Is but, that not right? Yeah, and he, but he, he's desperate to have something that could somehow upstage Santa Claus. And but a whole generation of us connect armadillos with, with Hanukkah, Hanukkah and the Maccabees, <laughs> as he says in his Ross voice. So the Maccabees were a group of people who, when a Greek ruler had placed a a false, an, an idol right in the middle of the Jewish temple. A group of Jewish people got together who were called the Maccabees. They united around a man called Judas Maccabeus. And after a three-year war, they conquered Jerusalem and they managed to rededicate the temple. So first and second Maccabees, Maccabees tells that story of how after this great war, in Hanukkah, which is the Hebrew word meaning dedication, the temple is rededicated. And what this plays into is a whole idea of what is leadership, because mm-hmm. in the Feast of Dedication, the celebrated form of leadership is the king who wins battles. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is going to point to a different kind of kingship in that chapter. So there's something about kingship and there's something about the temple then. Yeah. The yeah. temple, of course, being, being you know, David was 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 the one who wanted to build the temple. Solomon mm. was the one who, who did build the temple. It, it takes us right back, doesn't it, to, yeah. to the importance of temple. Yeah. Yeah, and worship. Yeah, and and the king is the is the shepherd king. Yeah, like, and so he, Jesus is just this big parable, if you like, or metaphor of him being the good shepherd. Yeah, and I think that's relevant as well because that's the kind of king he's going to be. And then he goes on to say, you know, you're not my sheep because you don't know my voice. And he's a king who speaks to his people. He's a king who leads his people. He's a king who gently lovingly lovingly takes them to where they need to be different so, kind of Je- so jen that, that's where i was going to go with, oh, yeah. with the question <laughs> so so once again we're seeing we're seeing jesus speak in a contextual um this this contextualization to how yeah. to where jesus and when jesus is is speaking because i want to then then go back to where we start in this chapter, yeah. which is the 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 parable yeah. or the the allegory, whatever you want to call it, about the shepherd, mm-hmm. linking us back to back to David as the shepherd king, um, and yeah, let let's talk about that. Let's talk about that whole picture. Yeah, and it is a picture, isn't it? You have you have to read this. We have to understand Middle Eastern shepherding. You know, if we if we come to this story with like a me, <laughs> a west coast of Scotland sheep images of sheep in fields and dogs chasing sheep and shepherds driving sheep it's, it's not what's going on and there's this 
I did some Googling of pictures. I mean, do I do that often with the Bible, just Googling pictures of what these sheepfolds would have looked like. And you'd have these sheepfolds near, near the village and the shepherds would come and they'd put all their sheep that night, all together, all the different sheep into the fold. And then there'd be a gatekeeper who'd be, who'd be working with the shepherds who would sit in the gap so it's not a physical gate gate but they would sit in the gap and they would protect the sheep and they'd know if they're going in or out and in the morning this is my favorite but all the shepherds would arrive and they'd call their sheep by name and the sheep would come out one by one to the right shepherd and follow them off to the pasture and when well for me that's incredibly helpful to see that image because that's what jesus is saying he is yeah. he's the one who comes and calls our name and we follow him and he takes us in the right way um and it's it's a personal, intimate relationship that we can have with God. It's not a, I'm driving you ahead of me <laughs> into the field being chased by a dog who's barking at you. It's not quite so pleasant. There's a there's a famous story about that, about a, a, a New Testament teacher taking his class from seminary to Israel, to the Israel-Palestine, to the Holy Land, and saying exactly what you've just said, Jane, and making the point that you have to understand shepherding and that in the Middle East, the whole image of the shepherd is the shepherd who goes out before the sheep, who, who mm. leads the way, as opposed to this idea of the shepherd at the back who kind of waits for, I don't know, the sheep to get into trouble first or something like that. And <laughs> and uh, he was explaining all this when one of his students uh, suddenly pointed out, went, look over there, look, there's a flock of sheep, just as you're talking about it. But look, the shepherd is at the back, not what you just said <laughs> at the front. So the New Testament scholars really put out by this because he's just made this big point about the the, the, um, the shepherd always being at the front and the student is contradicting him and no teacher likes to be contradicted or made <laughs> to be full of by a student. So he goes marching off in high dudgeon and goes off to see what's going on here. And uh, he he has a long chat with the, the, the guy at the back of the sheep and then comes back with a spring in his step, big <laughs> smiling, and he says to his students, that my students was not the shepherd that was the butcher that's <laughs> very good that's very good <laughs> and actually i was thinking i was thinking Jen, shepherds here it is different but the, the sheep do recognize the voice of the shepherd still mm. yes I mean, i'm come I'm by no, all that stuff. i'm no i'm no expert mm. on on looking after sheep shepherding I, to totally put the hands up to that. I I just think for me, when I understood this, particularly the fold and all yeah. the sheep and, and the coming and calling them in the morning, that made it help me understand what Jesus is trying to say about himself. Uh, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's connections with all kinds of different ways of looking after sheep. So, yeah, but yeah. but it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all those all those pieces of Christian art you've seen over the years, when mm. when it's it's a picture of a five bar gate. When Jesus mm. is talking about being the gate, it's something quite different, isn't it? Or, yeah. Yeah. or I, I was reflecting on the, the the role of the shepherd and throughout Scripture is the shepherd doesn't, you know, we think of shepherds as having their own fields and their mm. own pieces of land, and it's it's it, it's very um, attached to the individual. But but actually, there's something about the wandering of the shepherd, isn't it? The shepherd yeah. is free to to take the the sheep to to good pasture. Yeah, so it's it's less enclosed. It's interesting because I'm surrounded by sheep farmers, and and several of our congregations are are sheep um, farmers. So there's lots of chat about lambing at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really interesting. There's a guy called John. He's in his mid eighties. He's an elder in one of our churches, and and he's farmed sheep all his life. And what's interesting for me is I've been around the farm with his son Callum, and 
they have, well, I'll not say how many sheep they have because it's like telling somebody how much money you've got in your bank account, but they've got a lot of sheep. Mm-hmm. And he'll wander around the fields and he knows where all his sheep are. He's always looking out for them. So when he's on the quad bike, he knows who's in what field and he knows how the mums are doing. And this idea that this, the shepherd is always on the lookout for the flock. And John's like that, his dad, Callum's dad, at session meetings, will go through who's in the congregation, how are they getting on? And he has a vast knowledge of how people are getting on. And, and I, I say to him, John, sometimes, you're like a shepherd. You're always looking out for the flock. And he says, I'm near good kenner. And a kenner is somebody who kens the sheep. And apparently, particularly gifted shepherds are, are ones who really know the, the sheep. So we could maybe say that Jesus was a good kenner. Oh, he knew his flock. Yeah. Uh, the, the shepherds here are obsessed with grass. Uh, uh-huh. It's all about grass. It's all about getting your sheep to the place where they can be fed. And I, I like that image that Jesus is all about the grass. He's all about getting us to the place where we can be fed. Green pasture is the thing in the 23rd Psalm. But I'm also interested in this idea of danger because although we've got lots of good shepherds in our area, I doubt any of them would lay down their life for their, their sheep. In fact, brutal truth is the sheep do lay down their lives for the for the shepherd, because that's what happens most years. Um, but in the Middle Eastern culture, and Jen, you are now the podcast uh, expert on <laughs> Middle Eastern shepherding. So. I just looked at some pictures. <laughs> really... No, I think you, you were researching. Last night we were texting. i researching Middle Eastern shepherding. <laughs> but, but I think the danger is that the shepherd realises that in order for the sheep to find green pasture, the shepherd is going to have to go in places where the shepherd himself is vulnerable to attack by wild animals. I think that's where the danger lies. And I think what we see here is this beautiful image of Jesus who just loves the sheep. I mean, to intend that that they knows them and they know their voice. It's a lovely image of, of holding and of loving. And the fact that we're sheep, there's something that we don't really deserve that love. And yet Jesus does that. And Jesus will take the flock into the place where Jesus himself is in great danger. But he needs to do that so that the flock will be fed. So we get that in John chapter 9 with the blind man being nurtured and, and given life. And later on, well, with that beautiful thing, verse 10, I've come that they might have life in all its abundance. And Jesus is prepared to go to the place where he himself will be killed for that. That's mm-hmm. how much he loves the sheep. Yeah. So it struck me as well when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that he's talking to the people who have repeatedly, for the last number of chapters that we've been reading, been telling them they're going to kill him mm-hmm. and picking up stones to try and kill him. Mm-hmm. And he's now saying, I'm the good shepherd and I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And so it's, it's that this is what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Um, and, and your plans and schemes are, are you know, we're not all saying all that, that they're not going to work, but it's an interesting that Jesus is saying that when he's surrounded by people trying to kill him, you know. And it pref- what I was going to say is it prefigures the next chapter we'll look at as well, mm. which is John 11, and is is, mm. is all about life and resurrection and death and resurrection. Mm. Yeah, and, and doing it for... The other thing that's in the background here is Ezekiel 34, where there's a long history of shepherds in Israel and who are the good shepherds and talks about the bad shepherds who are only in it for themselves. I mean, it's, it's a... It's quite a rebuking chapter for me, who is a quotes pastor, which is the word means mm. shepherd. Um, mm-hmm. About to what extent do I give of myself, and to what extent am I in it for myself? And I think something about this, you've or 
both already talked about this, is about listening to the voice of the sheep. So to be a good shepherd, you also have to be a good sheep, I think. And and listening for the voice of Jesus, where where is Jesus taking me? And am I am I do I have enough faith? Am I brave enough to follow him? And yeah. Jen, one of the things you you said in your in your research was was interesting to me as well was the that idea that it was the different uh, flocks of sheep all in the same sheepfold, but but in the morning yeah. they would understand, they mm. would be able to hear the voice of the individual shepherd. Yeah, and the question is how how do we know? Jesus voice mm. and that's a question that children often ask mm -hmm. but I think it's not a question that goes away as we get older mm -hmm. because it's not easy I, I remember my daughter saying to me when she was quite little yeah but how do you hear Jesus I want to hear him the way I hear you and dad and Andrew I want you know um and and I th just think what that was like for the sheep <laughs> but it didn't happen overnight it wasn't like when they you know they had to have every day Every morning, all during the day, they'd keep hearing the voice. It's only as you keep hearing the voice that you get to know the voice. So it's a yeah. lifetime yeah. of work of working out what that means. Um, and it's easy to give trite answers, isn't it? Or like, well, you know, read the Bible, spend time with other Christians, then you'll hear the voice. But it's a kind of it's immersing yourself in in Jesus and constantly asking Him. What is your voice? What is your way in this situation? Not what would Jesus do? I mean, I would never have worn one of those wristbands. Um, <laughs> it's because that always feels slightly removed. You know, it's like yes. a kind of cerebral. Yes. I'll just work out what Jesus would do in that situation. But it's it's not that. It's Jesus speaking to us and pulling us in different directions in life. Um, I was at a meeting last night, which was really quite tricky and difficult, and. There was things that needed said, but there's things that needed to be listened to. And I, I sometimes feel in that kind of moment when you need to say the right thing or hear people well, it's easy to just go off. I can just go off and be me. And it's not until I come home that I think, oh, no, I should have I should have been talking to Jesus at that point. I should have been listening mm -hmm. to his, the spirit in me because it's the, it's the spirit. Now, I've talked about this in the James James before, isn't it? We talk about Jesus living in our hearts, but it's the spirit who's in us. Mm -hmm. And who guides us in these moments of tension or, or grief or trauma or good times as well? I, I, I'm not. I'm not encapsulating it very well. I don't feel because I don't no, think it no, can I, be encapsulated. I think you are, Jane. Yeah. I really think yeah. you are. I'm really. And there's something about being placed, brought to the place of abundance. That mm -hmm. the the thing that the image that's coming into my head, at the moment, is to do with another set of monks. It's in a film called Of Gods and Men. Have you ever watched that film? No, no, it's about it. Mark Kermode absolutely loved it. Um, it's it's about a group of Trappist monks, as time not Benedictines, who live in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco. They're I think they're all French, and there is a rise. It's a true story. It's based on it, there's a rise of Islamic a, a fundamentalism, jihadism, in their area, and these men are caught up in a war between the 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 Islamic fundamentalists and the government, but they have lived as peacefully as they can in this village for many, many years. And they look after the villagers and they give them medical care. And they begin to understand that they themselves are under threat uh, and they may be killed. And it's about this question of how do we know the voice? Because initially mm. the, the, the abbot superior, he decides, oh, we're going to stay. No problem. We'll stay. But the other monks are not so keen on this. And it's about how they undergo this process of real, real painful discernment. 
mm-hmm. uh, to try and hear whether Jesus wants them to stay in the monastery or, or to leave. And there are two beautiful scenes. One is um, where the, um, the the real kind of hero guy, who's just this beautiful character, you see him standing before the suffering Christ, a picture of the suffering Christ, contemplating Jesus. And eventually he just kisses the picture and it's done so tenderly. And the other thing that happens is eventually the community work out that they are going to stay and they have a last supper together. And it's just gorgeous. It plays Swan Lake at the same time. And it's it, John, Mark Kermode said it was the movie scene of the year. It was out, I think it was 2011 mm. or something like that. And at the end, they are taken captive and uh, they, they, they all died eventually. Um, and you see, but nobody knows quite how, and you see them walking off. But it was this this film about this community of people, and I think it's important this community really trying to find the voice of Jesus yeah, for them. Right. And it's not it's not an easy thing. Yeah. yeah, I I think as well that that also takes me back to the picture of the sheep in the pen. Mm. So so I think I think you're right that it's it's the it's the many years of listening, mm. but it's also what's modelled in the flock, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so so how do how do how do we get better? I think at talking about what we're hearing from the spirit, actually. And mm. I, I mean, Pete Gregg's written quite a lot of helpful stuff on all of this, hasn't he? Just about mm-hmm. listening for God in the everyday. Yeah. And we've talked about that story, haven't we, before about the tree, where Pete Gregg tells us story of, of, of stopping at the tree and, and and looking at it for ages and he feels you know that God is set, telling him to look at this tree he's like Lord what you know what are you telling me through this tree and actually it's, it's just I think it's a nice tree do you not think it's a nice tree mm. um but but it's in practicing that listening in the everyday that that we learn to to distinguish the voice yeah and, but but yeah. I think we're not very good always within the flock mm-hmm. at, at talking to one another about about that yes and it's I was just thinking about the lambs there uh-huh. <laughs> um, so the the little lambs, when they're in that pen in the fold, and the first wee while it'll just be they're following their mothers, yes, because their mothers are there. Yeah, it will be their mothers. They'll they'll be they'll be going out hearing the shepherd's voice. So they fall, and so that's a picture as well, isn't it, about um, our intergenerational church communities that our, our children learn to hear the voice by seeing how adults respond to the voice of Jesus. Yes. By seeing us worshiping, by seeing us praying, uh, by seeing us reading our Bible, by he- being part of our conversations. So maybe I'm going too far, but if you took all the lambs away from the mothers and stuck them in a fold on their own, and then mm-hmm. the shepherd went and called them, that would be harder for them. You know, they, and so if, but they're with the adult sheep, they learn to respond to the voice. And then, it, then they respond to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's dangerous times as well. Once the sheep, I'm thinking as well, that in the fold in the morning, the sheep all want to go and follow the shepherd's voice because they're going out to get the food. But then as the day progresses, you know, the younger lambs, I mean, if you watch lambs in fields, you know, they're all just jumping around together, aren't they? And having fun. And, you know, at that time when the shepherd calls them, then it's maybe harder for them to get, oh, my mother's off to the shepherd. So it, there'll be different times during the day when it's harder for the sheep to hear the voice. But maybe in times of danger, they'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a voice I'm going. And and that's like us, isn't it? That there's times in our lives when we're desperate to hear Jesus' voice. Other times we're off playing and having fun and mm-hmm. <laughs> we're maybe not so attuned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
So I mean, there's a lot already, isn't there? Isn't there to, so much to in it? So challenge much. how we we talk about yeah. this stuff as well, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And I'd like and and the fact that Jesus says he's a good shepherd. I had mm-hmm. until I, I was reading stuff yesterday. The the word it's a Greek word, so you'd probably be better to say it. You know, um, nobody knows how they're said. Kal- kalos is it? I or? think so. Yeah. I mean, it, nobody kalos, knows how yeah. ancient Greek was pronounced. And the translation is um, beautiful. Mm. The beautiful shepherd. And I think that the problem with the word good is we could just take that as I'm morally good. Yes. Mm. I'm right. But he he's not just right, he's he's beautiful, he's attractive. You want to be with him and I, I in the sense that, of goodness. Yes. Actually, we get more of it when we talk about the word goodness yeah. than Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that very helpful. Yeah. I think that takes us on to the final section, which is about then exploring who Jesus is. We have a this curious thing where Jesus is asked, really probed on two questions. And the first one is, are you the Messiah? Which relates to kings, it relates to Maccabees, it relates to David. It's a king word. Messiah means the one who is anointed as a king is anointed. It's, in Greek, it becomes Christ, Christus, Christ. And Jesus just says simply, I am the one who gives of himself to the sheep and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It doesn't answer yes or no. He says, mm-hmm. though, I and the Father are one. So, he, he's he's hinting, he's not saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. He's not saying no, but he points to an image of kingship, which isn't so much about conquering as about giving of your all for the for the flock that you're given and, and clinging to them such that no one's going to snatch them out of his hand. And that's already beautiful. And then Jesus expands it further because then the question is, are you God? And he uses this this quote uh, from one of the Psalms. Sorry, I should have written down which Psalm which Psalm is it from? Uh, where he says, uh, "You are God." Um, it's in verse thirty four, Psalm eighty two. Psalm eighty two. Yeah, uh, where where he's saying it, it. Sometimes it seems like a linguistic point, and sometimes he says, "Oh, you're God uh, to judges, so therefore it's okay to be a God." Uh, and commentators schooled in western thought i think this is quite a poor argument but apparently it's quite common a jewish argument it's the idea that if god can ennoble judges to be almost like gods how much more is the son who's the true judge also the the true god and it, it points again to this elevated view of jesus as one with god truly god and and that is the point at which once again they want to stone him and he evades them, which is almost godlike in a sense that he he can decide the moment at which he's going to be taken. But all this chapter again and again is pointing to it is Christ, Christ mm-hmm. the Messiah, and then Christ as God. Um, uh, it's a beautiful chapter. I, lo- I loved what you said a minute ago, Jen, about the idea of the good shepherd. It's not an anemic word; it's a rich, mm. beautiful word picture of Jesus. Mm. I think that's I think that's really interesting as well, Neil, because I've I've never I've always thought of that idea that when Jesus says that he is God and proclaims that he's God, that 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 would have come as a complete side blow to the religious authorities. But but what we're discovering there in that relationship back to Psalm eighty two is is that it's not coming completely out of the blue, is it? Yeah, it, I think it, I know. I think you're right. I mean, it's I think a it different. Is a, it's an interpretation yeah, of what they would have known, a, but it's an interpretation rather than new news. Um. Yeah, no, I think it is a side blow though, because I think the first commandment and second commandment saying, yeah. you know, there is no God apart from me, I think it's massive. Yeah. Um, mm. But but you're right, Jesus finds this void this this um, passage which seems to point to godlikeness as a possibility for for human beings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. You can surely trace some of that stuff back to, you know, a kind of cultural mandate being, being given authority. Yeah, am I, yeah. am I going off on a no, no, that, 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 no, that lots of commentators agree with that point that you've just right. made. Yeah. That the the yeah. judges are lifted up to the point they almost become like gods, but it's, it doesn't say like gods. I've made you, you are gods. You know, it's such mm-hmm. a, pro- mm-hmm. I think Jesus mm-hmm. is provoking the, the Pharisees here to look at the scriptures and see how sometimes it nudges in this direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, and then we find ourselves back at in the territory of John the Baptist. Mm. <laughs> Gets a mention again, doesn't he, at the end, which is interesting. It's a lovely ending, isn't it? And it also feels like a bit of a turning point that this is the end of the conversations with the Pharisees mm-hmm. that we've struggled our way through yeah. <laughs> and the difficult debates and the accusations flying and and then, well, this won't happen again in John, this kind of level of debate. Um, we'll head towards uh, Jerusalem and another festival where um, Jesus will be arrested and tried and killed. Um, so this moment when he, when he goes back to, it's like going back, back to the start, back to John the Baptist, and then these are this is with the people who are, who are believing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the work that's being done, and a sort of sense maybe of leaving behind. The kind of telling people who he is or proving who he is. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, that job's done. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, that that reminded me of something else that, that I wanted to talk about actually further further back if if you'll bear with me which is the idea of the the other sheep who know my mm. voice mm. yes so, i was thinking we didn't touch on that yeah we yeah we yeah. Were, yeah i wanted to talk about that um how does that hit us in the midst of of what is what seems to me the discussion of the shepherd so relating it back to ezekiel 34 relating it back to david it's very comfortably within that jewish understanding isn't it and then we have this this interesting verse about uh, verse 16 i have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen I must bring them also. So there's, there's there's that expansion, isn't there, of the kingdom? Yeah, and it's really it's really direct from Jesus, isn't it? Because he says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And then a little while later, he says to the Pharisees, um, you you are not you're not my sheep because you're not listening to my voice. Uh-huh. So there's uh-huh. there's these ones that are going to be included. Mm-hmm. I'm presuming Gentiles is really who who the hearers would have heard when he said mm-hmm. that. Um, but you, And you think you're in, but you're not in. If we want to go down that way of in and out, maybe part, maybe not. <laughs> um, so this flock is ever expanding. Uh-huh. It's not, it, you know, you can have that lovely image of the flock in the fold and they all know the voice and they're all having a great time and they're all looked after, but it's an ever expanding flock. And I think that's a risk in the church, isn't it? That we, you know, we're in, we've got it, it's good. We don't, we don't want other people to come in and, mess it up <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and uh, have to learn the voice and change things uh, change things the way we do things in this fold mm. yes yeah, so it's a constant challenge for us we i was talking to someone yesterday who's hopefully going to come and do some sessions on evangelism with us uh, as a church because i think it's something we're we're struggling with how, how do we be part of that growing out into the ones who are not currently of the sheepfold. And I agree with you, Jen. I think it's to do with the Gentiles. I think as echoes for me of Romans chapter 9 and 11, where 
Paul then talks about people being cut off, but at the very end, I love the end of chapter 11 of Romans, he talks about them all being brought back in in the very, very mm. end. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I just think it's, there's, there's one or two challenges in here. One is about pastoring, one is about listening to the voice, and the other is about going on this journey outside the sheepfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not staying, not staying within the fold. Yeah, yeah. and different mm-hmm. models of what it is to have leadership or power or be called into that place what is it to give yeah. of yourself and not be a thief I mean, the thieves and the the robbers and the wolves are a big part of this story uh-huh uh-huh yeah um, and i think we can be quite quick to interpret the picture and interpret the the story um I guess without nuance, don't we? Yeah. So, so it's very easy to put the thieves, the robbers, and the and the, the wolves as the oh they're over there somewhere, yeah, yeah, who are who are you know actively seeking to destroy. But sometimes the, the you know the thieves and the robbers and the, the wolves are in amongst the amongst the flock, aren't they? Yeah, mm. yeah. And and here I think Jesus is definitely naming the Pharisees as the yeah the, with their form of faith, which this would want the blind man to stay blind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Big challenge, big challenge, I guess, um, post-COVID as well, coming coming yeah. out of two years of quite restrictive, very restrictive um, experience of church. Um, to, yeah, it can be quite comfortable. We've, we've grown quite comfortable, haven't we, with some of that staying within the within the walls, I guess. Mm. Um, brilliant. Okay, so have we got some takeaways? I think I want to think more about the the lambs and the adult sheep. And how the the lambs learn to hear the voice, and what's that? What what is that like? And what that means for us as a church? How how do we help all generations to keep listening, to get to know the voice, and to keep listening to the voice of Jesus? Because I hadn't thought thought about that before. Yeah, I think for me it's that image of the the sheep all following the individual shepherd, and also that challenge to be the shepherd who gives fully of themselves for the sheep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mine is going to be a going back to same takeaway. I still haven't read that book about Judaism. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go back. The Maccabees made me think about that because, yes, okay. a bit like you, Neil, my only experience with Maccabees was from an episode of Friends. So I'm going to go and I'm going to read that book about Judaism and, and uh, report back next time on how I've got on with, with that. Good. Well, thank you very much, both of you. Uh, so, Jen, do you have a gem? I had three gems to choose from today. Flip, that's a treasure I, chest. <laughs> treasure chest of gems. <laughs> so I've decided on one, and I am learning Bolivian Spanish at the moment. I've just started. I've had two lessons, um, one each week for the past couple of weeks. And I've been struck by, it's a one-to-one class, and I've just been struck by how vulnerable I feel learning a language. I'm not a linguist. I haven't studied a language since I was in S4 at high school. Wow. And I'm, yeah, it's just such hard work, but it's also a, a real privilege to be able to do it. Um, and I just, I, I don't know anything, um, the, the te- but the teachers are so gracious and kind and encouraging. And she'll be like, bien, Jen, bien, like when I get one wee word pronounced right. And there's so much to know. And uh, so there's all that overwhelming, overwhelmingness of it. But what it made me think about, which is really the gem, is that, always being able to try and remember what it feels like to be an outsider to feel 
what it what it feels like to not get the language and I mean if where you are I mean language in a big sense so for the young person that's just arrived at your youth group or a new person at church who's never been to church and the the weirdness of it and the how they feel like outsiders and I'm sure many many listeners have thought about this but it was a timely reminder for me and so for me looking at my teachers they encourage me they use my name they ask me to qu- ask me questions how I'm feeling if I'm understanding and 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 just that attention to detail that we need to give to people who are becoming part of the flock because it ties in with John chapter 10 you know that the new people that are joining us and how well we care for them um and that's we need to give that attention to it I, I was at we had a, a youth event in from church in my garden recently and we had various youth groups that all come together and there were some young people who found it harder to to mingle and I noticed one of the leaders that's all he was doing was he was noticing the ones that needed to oh, come and sit down and let's play mm-hmm. a game or mm-hmm. needed a chat or needed to be brought into a group and yeah that attention to detail is part of being as Neil was talking about um Jesus is our good shepherd but we also are shepherds and you need to give that attention to individuals that's great thank you very much it's great it's an undervalued skill I think that ability to Mm. to spot the outsider and sweep them in it's not a very glamorous job but And, and yeah and we feel awkward and embarrassed sometimes as well and sometimes you just need to be bold and maybe feel a bit silly because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an introvert and I find it hard to walk up to someone and go hello <laughs> if I have a role in the situation or if I am the youth leader or I've been asked to do something it's easier but if you're just sort of in the group it can be harder to do yeah I think that's what yeah. that's what Jesus is doing with these sheep we need to do it too so thank you very much for that thank you Jen for your gem and thanks for joining us everybody next time we're going to be talking about John chapter 11 which is about resurrection and life so join us then for more outspoken conversation in the meantime of course don't forget to let us know how long you'd like your podcast and of course to <laughs> like rate share and review on the, your podcast platform of choice that's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org for getting in touch tell us your podcast length and uh, find your liking and rating and so on in your podcast platform thanks very much to both of you good to see you look forward to speaking to you next time thank you fiona jen enjoy the rest of your birthday oh thank you yes happy birthday jen